Well, um, so how did we do last week? Good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anybody have any questions they thought of afterwards that they wished that we had that, that had been covered? It's a good moment to raise them. I'd like to spend about a, a year on anamnesis. Oh, we talked about uh, Jewish people being professional rememberers and how that comes into liturgy. Oh yeah. And the word of is anamnesis is yeah. calling to mind actually makes presence a thing. Yes. Yeah, that's great. And we do that right at the at the seminal moment of the Eucharist. We look back and we look forward and we look at the now. It's just fabulous. You know, God is outside of time thing. Wonderful. Um, I was thinking actually that we probably should have had a class just on how the church reads the scriptures to start. So um, I'm trying to think if next week would be the good time to do that. Um, But we usually actually start with a class on the the Catholic Church and the Bible. Mm -hmm. So what do you think about that next week kind of as a little interjection in between the gospel or is that going to interrupt our our little trajectory. Well, I mean, it might we, help. We could cover it in two nights and, and yeah. you do Matthew alongside it. Okay, I think that's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah why don't we do that? We'll, so we'll spend at least an hour next week and then the following week on um, the church and the Bible because there's definitely a Catholic sensibility to Scripture. Mm-hmm. And if you could read from Vatican II, Dei Verbum, uh, one of the only, I think it's one of only, what, three dogmatic or two dogmatic statements, there's two or three that came out of Vatican II. This three. Well, no, Constitution and the Sacred Liturgy For was sure. not a dogmatic right. one in the same way. Yeah. But anyway, you had Lumen Gentium and you had Dei Verbum, which is the dogmatic constitution um, on the Word of God, right? Dogmatic, mm-hmm. right. It's short, but please read it, and you can get it online. Um, Clayton will happily send us the link. I will send link. you the link. And, oh, great. and you should definitely read it. And this way you can also join the elite group of Catholic lay people who have actually read one of the documents of Vatican II, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which are probably, honestly, I think the most important things the Church has put out there for at least a couple hundred years, maybe since Trent. You know, the Vatican II was supposed to set us uh, ready for the next coming age, you know, that was supposed to uh, be a real point of, oh, we need to get some stuff worked out here, and and it really was. So um, it's a beautiful document, and then we can talk about that. Okay, Okay, and um, so, good, we're going to continue here now, and um, we're going to pick it up with number four, and I'm so excited that I get to step in here on the uh, teaching of Jesus stuff, because just so suits my nature to get to rant about all of this stuff. And all. Okay. <laughs> all right, so um, what I thought we could do is actually read the section and then talk about it. Is that how you did it last mm-hmm. week? Very good. So would someone like to read um, The Temptation of Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, um, and just read through number 11, and we'll talk about that. Somebody? Where are you? Uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 4, okay. 1 through 11. Uh, we, we went further than this. Did you go further than that? Yeah. We, did we? No, no we, we didn't do this in chapter four. No, we finished chapter three. Mm-hmm. Must have fallen asleep. <laughs> 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 yeah. I love that the baptism of Jesus happens, happens, and then bam, the temptation yeah. of Jesus. You know, like there's no miracles in between. There's no like meal with his mother. You know, it's like okay, you're baptized now. That's so wet. You, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, like beautiful. It's just a great in terms of like a dramatic. You know, like if I was a writer, you know, it's like that's so fabulous. It's such yeah. a great juxtaposition, you know. So it just goes to show that, and we're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the scriptures. But it just goes to show the Bible is also a great work of literature. Um, and, and you know, when they knew what they were doing and it was all inspired, or I don't know. But man, that's a great juxtaposition. So I 
can appreciate that. Mm. Good. So, somebody want to read the temptation of Jesus? Good, John. Don't rush. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and their hands will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things will I give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Thank you. Um, first thing I want to say about this, and then I'd love to invite you know just your senses of it right away, is that you know Matthew doesn't get enough credit. Um, everyone talks about John as being the great writer of the Gospels, uh, but Matthew's memory here and then recreation for us of these three particular temptations is uh, is just amazing to me. It's a just amazing thinking because these three temptations basically sum up um, the three most um, compelling temptations to which human beings are liable to fall. And um, I'm, I wish I could say I had thought of this myself, but but when what work we're going to read later on uh, in Lent, uh, and it will harken back to this, but we're going to talk about some of the insights there tonight, is the Grand Inquisitor from Dostoevsky. And the Grand Inquisitor um, is basically, they have this argument about these three temptations, again, Christ and, and uh, this cardinal who's in the person of Satan, really. Um, but um, not really, though, actually. But he's man. given himself over to evil. He's a man. Yeah, he's a man who's given himself over yeah. to evil, right, yeah. And um, I think... Um, Anyway, so uh, they have this fight about, you know, this discussion about this. You know, Jesus didn't really say anything. But, um, but uh, I, I, so I want to talk tonight about these three and what they mean to you and why we have these particular three here um, as uh, what Christ was tempted by. Um, <clears throat> so the first one is, you know, this make the bread, make um, the stones into bread. Okay, beyond just the fact that Jesus was hungry, physically hungry, you know, he'd been living in the desert and not he'd been fasting, right? So, okay, we have that. What else what what else is, is you know, unpack that a little bit more, you know, what what's symbolized in that kind of temptation to Jesus that that we would all then you know, that we have to deal with. Anybody wanna say what that Pleasure. means to you? Hmm? Pleasure. Okay, right, yeah. I think um I mean in one level everything we do to fill our belly. So, so Satan starts really low um, with us and says, I can, I, you know, he's trying to figure out who Christ is, maybe, whatever, that's one of the readings of this whole scene. But the idea, though, is that the first temptation is, I can sink you, you on just your, your gut, your belly, 
your desire to have a, you know, a softer bed and an easier ride and a better tasting food and, and then just like ex keep extending that to all the things for which we fall into sin, which are really just come down to glutting our own selfish um, physical impulses to, um, to kind of have, uh, have the best kind of comfort that we can uh, on a completely material level. And that that is like the first thing that's thrown <coughs> in Christ. And, and I think that, that that's good because sometimes I think we tend to forget how compelling those things are and how, because they're so lowly, we can accommodate ourselves to them in a more comfortable way. And Plus you tell yourself yeah. you need that. Well, just you need bread. <laughs> oh, I hear this all the time. Yeah, I mean, I have I have had a Christian friend for years who she basically just has too much stuff, and just and she says to me, "We don't even get to talk about it because she says I like my creature comforts, and that's supposed to be okay." And she can she's allowed to then you know she can write a check to the church and she can, um, you know, but she has to me this glut of stuff and these 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 things that you cannot put your finger on, you know. Uh, she can't wait in line, she can't drive a slower car, she can't have a house that isn't this size, she can't have any clothes that aren't from the store, and things like that. What are you going to say, Will? Well, I, mm -hmm. I just can't help thinking that, I mean, these are all the things that we twist with our flesh. It's important to eat, it's important to be protected and not to be hurt, and it's, you know, they, you know, all these things are very important. What I, what, what I read when I read this mm -hmm. is that Satan is saying, Hey, look, use your will for me. Mm -hmm. That's—I think—that's the deal he was offering. You mean that first temptation? Well, in all in, in, in the whole in, in the the whole temptation, mm -hmm. he was saying, "Look, you can do all these things that God gives you the power for, because He knew, you know, mm -hmm. Jesus knew His power." And he goes, "You can join my club, and and you know, and and, and to use your your free will right. for for flesh and for mammon." And and I, I, to me, that's the bigger sort of temptation because that, you know that's that whole free will thing. And then because because they get in and talk and just for me, just to talk about sort of the the different aspects of gluttony or or, or mm -hmm. whatever. Well, you can also be sinful in your non-gluttony, mm -hmm. you know, in your lack of, you know. So I mean, to me, the bigger thing is this was sort of a key moment of of just saying to him right there in the desert, you can come join my club and do everything that you. And maybe not hang on the cross. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think, to, I, you know. Well, right, I mean, because hanging on the cross is the radical rejection of the life of pleasure, and, which, you know, is. And, right, and right, Satan right. knew that this was going to happen. Right. Or at least, well, you know. I know that he knew he that. He didn't know exactly, yeah, yeah. but he knew something was up. <laughs> right. He knew right. something was up. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, and. I, mean, and I think if he did know at one time, his, his knowledge had been clouded. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, to, mm -hmm. to me, that's, a, that's, the, that, that's sort of the, the pivotal issue there is that, you know, it's that, and it's that choice we're given. Mm hmm. You know. Right. Well, I, th I mean, I think the idea of the, the kind of build here that we're going to watch, but I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's like the first thing that sinks us, um, in, in like Dostoevsky's sense, it's kind of, uh, he'd say, um, you know, this, this is, uh, many of you will worship me, most of you will worship me just because I can give you a full belly. And don't you forget that. And, and, and he throws that in Christ's face. He says, these people that you love, they will betray you for uh, enough, you know, for a good piece of chocolate if they feel like having it, you know, or, a, 
or uh, or the, or the <laughs> brothers, the brothers <laughs> oh. who give up the promise for the the bowl of meat. <laughs> yeah, right. Esau, Esau trades his birthright for a right. bowl of yeah. oatmeal. You know, yeah. and um, and but we see that you know all the way through that that, that and, and and it's just so good for us to think of that and because it, then it makes you look at your life and say you know where are my compromises and 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 the thing is too. Those things are a doorway into much, much more serious things. So if you can't fast, I mean, the church recommends that we fast because it wants us to feel the how what wimps we are when our stomach goes. How how that's it's distracting and it can ruin our day and it's so you know because we're so susceptible to. Um, this flesh that we have, wanting to be satisfied and comforted. So that the idea that you would sell God out for um, the physical stuff that you want is it's something that we need to be aware of. And that's, of course, what, you know, um, in the Grand Inquisitor, the first reason that he throws at Christ of how unworthy we are of God, because we're that way. And back to basically he says, my, we take them and we let them be the cows they are. And we, we put them in the pasture and we give them their food and they snore and fart and eat and and fornicate and they're happy. Um, we don't make them try to be heroes, try to go against those things. And that's that's where you're a ridiculous Christ. You know? So anyway, so I think the first one here is that, to feel the weight of that. Yeah, John? What's so interesting is, is that like... Uh, this is the first time God's ever had a belly. I mean, Satan's yeah. been whining and he <laughs> wanted true. to be God for so long, and this is the first time he's had a body. And so, <laughs> from Satan's perspective, it's like, where do I start? And I this is right. 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 Like right. Kind of basic things uh-huh. like, like humans go. It's like uh-huh. hunger. It's yeah. so funny that like, uh-huh. whoa, God's got a body. What do what do what do I go for? Yeah. Um, so all those lowly physical hungers that honestly are in some ways the most embarrassing to us. Yeah. You know that we give in to mm-hmm. our physical impulses, whether it's sex stuff or whether it's you know, whatever it is that you can't resist because your hormones in your body, your physical side is tugging you to that. Those are the things we don't want to admit. Ask if my father in <laughs> confession, you know, people get to those at the end. You know, well, I betrayed my <laughs> boss. I stole $60,000. I read some terrible stuff on the internet. But then, 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 I, you know. But, uh, you know, it's like we don't want to admit that we're that pathetic. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those things are, um, they are the doorway into much, much deeper darkness. But um, they can be anyway. But that they're, they're with us all. And, and the idea is if you don't, if you don't stay aware, aware of them, they will... You will you will sell your birthright for a bowl of oatmeal. I think you have to um, you have to be stay aware. All right, so that's number one. So the first one is that most people are going to um, be tempted terribly and are going to fall away by this fill, fill the belly thing. So then number two. So then Satan takes him to the holy city and makes him stand on the parapet. Oh oh, you know what? There's one other thing I think there I forgot. One other thing that I think is particularly compelling when it's Christ now with the, with the bread thing, is that the compassion of Christ, Satan is basically saying to him, they are going to say to you through all generations, your God, people are hungry. Feed them. Like, can't you feel the weight of that one? And don't we live with that every day? You know, if I were God, there would be no sick two-year-olds. There would be no children's hospital. If I were God, people wouldn't have cancer. If I were God, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so this is the second part of that is, is basically a temptation to Christ win them by the goodies. 
Tell them that if they are on your side, then they won't have any want. And that that is such a falling short of our call to be, to be love, you know, to love God and, and to feel that joy of love. It's, it's the response of the cow. You know that the cow will go where the where the pasture is, and uh, you know, and where it's comfortable. And so, in some way, to say to Christ, you know, that's what they're going to say about you—that you did not feed them, and you had you were sitting there in the warehouse of food, and you kept it to yourself. And um, and, and so, I really uh, feel that one there. Um, you know, even more. You know, that one's particularly diabolical to kind of throw at the Messiah. Say, you know, I have another way to be the Messiah. <laughs> we can get this over so much faster. I know, you know, I know. Well, it wouldn't be a temptation if it was easy, right. you know, for him. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all the things that he's mm-hmm. he's destined for each one of these three things. Mm-hmm. They are his destiny, mm-hmm. and like all of us, have a purpose and a destiny, and we all want to cheat it mm-hmm. and go this way with it. I mean, it wasn't like he was saying, do something crazy and outside yeah. of godliness. Hey, you have like, the power to yes, feed them, and they're hungry. Yes, yes. And, and it's so cool that it's coming at the, at the beginning of Christ's mission. It's like, okay, you're, about, you're here to spend this time laying out. You've just been baptized. You've been commissioned. You're laying out your, your, your pastoral strategy uh, for your life right now. And I'm telling you that um, the best strategy would be to yeah. just to turn the stones into bread. They will crown you king. Yeah. And we see that happen, you know, in John 6 when he feeds them all. What's the movement? Yeah. We want to make him king! <laughs> yeah. you know? um, so um, I think that, that, uh, that, that there's this, the double whammy there. You know, there's the, the idea of that we all feel the weight of it, but then there's the idea of t- tempting Christ. And don't tell me that he didn't feel that weight. Yeah. You know, oh, oh man, this is so, this is, I'm sitting here having to argue with these scribes in the temple. I could go like that, and then, you know, they're there. Which leads to the next one, which is, um, the devil takes him to the holy city, makes him stand on the parapet, and says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, because the angels will carry you up, and everyone will see. And then, so Dostoevsky says, so this is the temptation to miracle that we are very, very susceptible to, miracle slash mystery, that in our nature, we will follow whoever we believe has the inside track to a kind of power that we don't believe that we have. In fact, Dostoevsky says the strongest temptation in human nature is to give over our will to someone else. That we, because we are creatures, we're, we are creatures, we're, we've been perverted in the fall and all this stuff, so we, but we're still lugging around our creatureness. And your creatureness gives you the awareness that you cannot make things happen the way you want. So you're extremely susceptible to someone coming along saying, follow me because I, I have the power. I, and so Dostoevsky calls it mystery, the idea that, that you are going to go through life basically looking for people to turn your will over to. Mm-hmm. We do it in relationships. You know, I don't have to think about that anymore. He's, I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm, you know, I've made those decisions. He's, my husband is the one that does those thinking. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Uh, there lies the crux of my problem with religions. Uh-huh. Because, you because people it. don't live it. Uh-huh. They go and they, they do whatever thing they do that gets them in, okay. into the club. And it's a perversion. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, and but but it's yeah. also fostered by many, many, many religions. Oh, well, it's, it's almost impossible to, it's very, very hard. I think only a really holy person could resist that who's a cleric or a pastor. 
because all you have all these people coming up to you, um, you know, saying, um, you, you know, you mediate God's power. You're the one who, you know, you can get my my son into purgatory, out of purgatory, or whatever, you know. And I, all I know is he's dead and he was bad. But if I give you money, you can say a prayer and it'll make him go to heaven. And I mean, well, it's and, even, but it's it, yeah. to me, it's even it's even a little more kind of simple than that. Sure. Is that people just don't want to push themselves and they don't they don't want to get to the point where it hurts. Right. I and think, it, yeah. it, you know, and that, yeah, yeah, but it. I think that used to be that way with priests, yeah. but I don't think it. I think people follow sort of the secular priests to get their morality. The ways that people don't inform their conscience, or how they selectively inform their conscience, is pretty remarkable. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, we've yeah. I think we've we've moved from. I think before Vatican II, mm-hmm. it was you could really say this was a church, especially you know I don't know about the Protestant church, but I could say the Catholic Church got had the rap of being a place where the priests and the nuns did the thinking for the laity, and the laity kind of just went along and, you know. Um, and and said, okay, this is what I have to do, and now I'm saved, you know, whatever. And um, I, I know, um, you know, I, I've done so much research, I just wrote a screenplay on this guy who founded Opus Dei, um, Monsignor St. Jose Maria Escriva, and he got so much opposition from the priests of the time in the early 30s in Spain, because he was daring to have the laity formed in spirituality and theology and catechetics and ethics and and, and, you know, they literally, other fellow priests saying to him, you know, they don't need this crap. They have us. And, um, and you know, it was, it was a radical notion. When I'm reading it, I'm like, I can't believe how far we've come, you know, in 60 horrible years. <laughs> but, yeah. you, know, you know. And even within, yeah. even within priesthood, there were priests who were just the guys that were going to be trained for parishes. Right. They didn't, they weren't taught to think theologically. Right. They were given the, the, the old kind of guidebooks that, laid out all the answers, you memorized it, and that, that was it, and that's what you gave to the people. Mm-hmm. So the, the thinking layer of the church was quite, I mean, it even excluded a lot of priests. Right. But yeah. So, so yeah, I think even religion as the place that you give your free will over to is evil, and that's an also in the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that, um, that's why the Grand Inquisitor is so evil, because he says to Christ, you made them suffer by making them free and making them want to be free and wanting to think. We give them peace, which is just, we assume the burden, you just follow us. You know, So I think, yeah, re- the religion is not a place where you surrender your stake in the conflict. And it's, and it's yeah. not, it is, it is, it, you know, it, it isn't just, in, in my opinion, it, is, it, it isn't just the, 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 the cognitive. You know, it, it, it really is that, that you know the it's beyond what you know into an actual participation and you know into an actual I, I, I'm having trouble forming the words for 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 this but I, th- there's a separation there you know and it's because you know it's not necessarily a call to theology it's not necessarily a call to understanding your religion better it's it's more of a call to active honest flesh and bl- bones and blood Participation. Absolutely. You know, as I much as you can, you know, to be choosing everything all the time because we were made free, mm-hmm. and and our we show our love by cho- the choices that we make, and so the idea of of just staying present, and uh, it's like okay, the church says that I fast on Fridays and Lent, but I choose it every day. I get up and I I choose it, yeah. and um, I you know, and because that's who I am, and like that's what. 
um, we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to just be, um, you know, having surrendered our, our will. So, so this number two, this idea of the miracle, the mystery, the power that, um, you know, by which we would so want to, you know, and, and look at all the, you know, these people like the Hitlers of our time, or, you know, look at all the ideologies. Don't each, all of them, they present a mystery as the, we know, we know the way to live, we know, uh, just follow us, and we don't need thinking here, we need, we need you just to follow us. And that's how so much evil has been done in human history by human beings putting their faith in the people who promised that they had the real insight, this Gnostic thing. Going that's why the church is always suspicious of things that are secret. Yeah. Um, and things that are not that aren't compl are completely open. Yeah, it's just so such a. There's a power in that. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. that's really corrupting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the another way of this uh, that I read this though too is, like I think we put the Lord to the test all the time yeah. by doing by behaviors that have consequences mm -hmm. and then asking the Lord to yeah. clean up for it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Eight of the ten major killers in our culture are, are lifestyle related. Mm -hmm. so They're directly and related. And then people are like, why did God do this to me? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You jumped off the parapet. Yeah. I mean, right. you, exactly. you, you, I, I yeah. don't, uh -huh. don't want to... No, it's fabulous. You have lung cancer, right? Yeah, you have lung cancer. I mean, uh, I think God's compassionate towards mm -hmm. that, but you can't just before you hit the ground say, oh, by the way, save me mm -hmm. from this. Right, and it's, you know what that is too? The second one is this temptation to the life without limits. Remember the yeah. temptation in the garden to Eve is, God knows if you eat that apple, you will be like him. You will know what is good for you and what is bad for you. And it'll be the life without limits. You won't be a creature anymore. You will be like him. That's the magic formula, that apple. God eats those, he's got the whole warehouse of them. He eats them and that's why he's God. You don't have to be a creature. And uh, so this temptation that goes way back to Genesis, this is, you just jump off the roof. Don't, you don't be a creature. You be uh, without limits. And, um, and so the temptations to that that we are thrown um, are as, you know, just innumerable. The idea of we're going to make the life without limits. And, and I think particularly in the modern world, technology gives us so much potential to approximate the life without limits. We can use the pill and have as much sex as we want. And that's the life without limits, right? Because, you know, um, that's a weird technological thing that, you know, um, that honestly I think is going to very soon be, I don't know how long they can keep it up, but I don't know, you know, these, I think women have uh, just been, you know, but yeah, let's tell your body you're pregnant every month for 30 years and then, you know, oh no, birth, birth, what is it, breast cancer, oh my goodness, you know, where'd that come from? Anyway, so, but I mean, I think this life without limits thing, you know, we could have an abortion if we, if we have a pregnancy, we can, um, you know, I don't know, you know, oh, we can have plastic surgery if we're getting old, we can, hey, let's not get, you know, right <laughs> I mean, think about the life without limits and, and how, um, how that temptation to, to, you know, uh, control uh, is there so much there so and it's a temptation excuse me but yeah. because it's what we're destined for yeah. right well yeah you mean to be yeah. to be united to God yeah right. without yeah. limits that's without what we were built for right. yes that's yeah. why it's a temptation right. and so they're all these are the shortcut ways yeah but you yeah. know even then you know it's like the today I'm just having sung that it's not that we become God it's that we get to worship God yeah you know we get to be at that party and uh, to see him as he is, and um, that's the, but 
that's a slight difference there headed you know um, so anyway, I think. Um, Sorry, like yeah. the temptation appeals to like our desire, like our the, the right desire to have like a limitless relationship with God. Yeah, mm -hmm. to be fulfilled. We're made in God's image, and yeah. that's the fulfillment of that. Yeah. And right. not that's that quirk. That's why we. Okay, mm -hmm. that's just so interesting. That's yeah. actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, but also again, now getting this, the, you know, returning the first one. Though when we talk about Christ's mission, Satan saying, if you want them to follow you, you just fly down off the temple and swoop over their heads and I guarantee you all Jerusalem will will follow you. Just do it. Uh, we're, we can win them by miracle or mystery. And now and then you see what's Christ's strategy when his compassion pushes him to miracles which start to happen very soon. What does he say to people? Don't tell. Don't say it was me. Because I think you know, this was um, was offered to him as you know one way to win them over. Uh, so, um, okay. So then the third one is um, the devil takes him to the mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in all their magnificence. And it's not phony magnificence; it's a beautiful glory of the, the kingdoms of the world, right? And says, "All of these are mine." All of them I give to you if you prostrate yourself and worship me. Well, now, of course, the Satan is the father of lies. They aren't all his to give anyway. And that is the lie that I think over and over and over people think they can have it all. Like the, the Satan will tell us over and over and over, just do this and you can have it all. And it's a lie. He doesn't have all the kingdoms of the world to give. Pull off some fast ones. He can pull a few things. He can get some of his friends to make, you know, things for him. But he can't give that. And um, and we see that immediately in people who have made that kind of trade-off. But um, finally, though, when you look at it as the, from from our standpoint, um, it's um, the temptation for us there is um, community. Uh, and this is again Dostoevsky. That this what when Satan's saying here is. All of these these kingdoms are mine together. It's a world without discord because they all belong to me. And you want to belong more than anything to a community that is at peace. That is what we, we are. Because we were made by a trinity that is in community. We were made as a being that was supposed to be relational. So this other huge drive of our hearts is to have community that works. And Satan says, I got that. Come to me and we will be one. How many sins do we get into because we are trying to have the perfect community? Now look at social sins. I mean, again, we get back to our ideologies. All we have to do to have the perfect state is just eliminate the 15,000 troublemakers and then everyone shares and blah, blah, blah. I mean, just look at them, one after another, all these human systems to guarantee the perfect community. And we all get on, we sign up because we want that. Um, family stuff. Uh, you know, look at the, the sellouts that we make to make um, you know, a relationship work way beyond... Um, uh, you know, I, this year I worked with a young woman who was you know, getting beaten up. She wouldn't leave the situation because 
it was going to work out. And um, you know, and so then she's got you know not only all this baggage, but lying to everyone and you know all of this stuff. And it wasn't good for him either. But what was she doing there? She's trying to keep the perfect relationship going. You know, but I think this this yearning for community. Um, you know, honestly, when I look at the sex abuse scandal and the way it was mishandled in the church, I was um, okay. Well, yeah, particularly with the you know, I mean, I think the bishops are certainly trying now to be um, open, but at that point, when the bishops went into the mode of hunker down and deny and obfuscate, that impulse. Some of them might have been covering their butts, but I think more of them were trying to keep the boat looking like it was rock, you know, not really as bad, mm. you know. And I know that from having been in religious life, where I mean, it was amazing the things that we went to to keep the lay people from knowing how dark there was stuff going on in the community, yeah. you know, because that would scandalize the lay people, and we need them to think that we have our act together, so we can't let them know, you know, Sister So and So is was taken to a mental institution last night. So here's the story we're going to tell. Because it's good for the lay people that they not have, um, we don't shake their faith by letting them know that we professional religious people actually really screw up on a really, you know. So you solid your entire mission. Right. Yeah. Part of that is, Mm -hmm. yeah, and it goes a long way. Like medieval Catholicism isn't so. Like in cathedrals, (laughs) they, they have, you know, they'll do a sculpture of, Priests and nuns being led to hell with you know, the kings and queens, <laughs> I know. and there's such a great honesty about that yeah. that we lost along the way. Yeah, no, I think it's true. Yeah, actually, I'm thinking of the um, the Cathedral of Orvieto, and they have the rape of the damned on one side of the burial chapel, and then the the banquet of heaven, and there are some nuns and priests on the rape of the damned side. Actually, main portal at the Cathedral at Notre Dame. You know, Jesus and judgment. On one side, people being led to hell in chains, and there's bishops, and there's the I, know, I don't think they. I don't think the bishops would stand for that today. Yeah. Oh. I know. <laughs> Could you make a work of art with it? It's horrible because I mean, you know, in, in, I mean, that to me, it's, it's saving grace. Oh, I think it's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. You know, the, I think, mm-hmm. and it could be one of the purifying things that comes out of it. The the other side of that is a puritanism. That says everybody's got to be absolutely perfect, or they can't. Yeah. They aren't meaningful in any way. Yeah. And that's. I mean, that's where we swim in both kind of cultures. So this third temptation to have peace on earth, any other way but through Christ, mm-hmm. um, is the the, um, the the temptation for us mm-hmm. that we are going to make it another way. And so again, but then we take it to Christ's mission again, and basically Satan is saying, look. If you want peace on earth, my sur- surrender to me. Because otherwise, there are going to be so many people who suffer and die. If you, if you want them to be have peace, we can have peace. But if you declare war on me now, it's going to be war. And I'm going to fight you every step of the way, and they are going to suffer. And this, it's like chess, me against you. And, and is the, are you going to get a rush out of that Christ? Because they're going to suffer. So that's like the temptation. You know, it's appealing to Christ and saying, you know, this is vanity that you are calling them to, um, you know, to holiness. And uh, they're going to suffer terribly, and many will be lost. 
I think it just must have been so frustrating for Satan too because he's so jealous of us and 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 he tries to use us as a weapon constantly in his relationship with God, you know, lashing out and to use us in that way too, you know, it's like any way to get his to get his way and to say, "Oh, are you willing to make them suffer?" and hoping the answer is yes and hoping the answer is no because he loses either way. What right. mm-hmm. a frustrating place. We used to talk about this sometimes too. It's like what that conversation must have been like for Jesus because in some strange way it's the first person to recognize mm-hmm. that he could talk with sure. in some <laughs> exactly. eternal way. Right. That yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Actually it's uh-huh. like really knows, doesn't know everything mm-hmm. but understands the heavenly realm yeah. other than his mother but who kind of recognizes who he is. It's the first person to, yeah. I mean I wonder what that dynamic how it unfolded on the man's side mm. yeah you know, yeah yeah um so okay well i mean i think if you think about these three temptations now in this light you know the the, the temptation to fill your belly the temptation to um to mystery the temptation to community um as being these things that for which you sell out you will sell out that's what you know that's where we fall um, everything comes down to those three. So it's just a beautiful thing. I want to say a word about temptation as we move on here now and just say um, temptation is not the awareness of sin. And, you know, scrupulosity, which is not really a problem that much in today's world, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Uh, I suppose there must be people somewhere who suffer from scrupulosity, but I'm, more, I, I'm much more impressed with that we don't really have that problem. Scrupulosity is when you're really worried that you're, you're offending God all the time. It seems to me we just have such lax consciences where we like, God's a good guy. He gets me. I'm a good person. He understands my things. You know, like I hear that much more often. However, there's a new name for it. Actually, it was in the paper last week. Remember? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a new, there's a new psychological term for religious fanatics. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. I should have said therapist. It's interesting. Yeah. But um, I wanted to say, use the me- the metaphor for temptation and when it becomes a sin that we got when I was in the convent from my old Italian novice mistress, De uh, Concetta. She was great, and she says, "Look, temptation is when you entertain sin." She said, think of it as, I mean, excuse me, she said, sin is when you entertain a temptation. Sorry. Okay, sorry about that. So, so here's the idea. A temptation knocks at your door. You open it up and say, ah, temptation. <laughs> now, sin is when you entertain it. Come in. Sit down. Let me talk to you. Let me feed you. Would you like something to drink? That's sin, when you entertain it. The awareness of it, that that you hear it knock, that you open the door and that you see it, is not sin. But it's when you start to flirt with it, that's when you're in trouble. So what were you going to say in response to this opposite scrupulosity one, that that people say, oh, God's a good guy. Right, well, the lax conscience one. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a much bigger problem. I think we, we are in an age where scrupulosity is not the problem. I'm not, you were going to say, how do you know that God is, gets me? Well, right, yeah. It's you know, no, it's like we all um, we've all made God in the image in which our sins are accommodated by Him, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and so I think you know, I don't, well, I don't uh, much more. I I hear from people when they tell me about their stuff, and they go, well, God knows I'm, you know, He's not going to be so worried about stupid stuff at the church. And it's like, and the stupid stuff can be anything from you missed, you didn't have meat on, you know, you ate meat on Friday in Lent to 
you know, you're divorced, remarried three times, and you're, you sent your kid off to boarding school because she's a pain, you know, I mean, something like that. It's like, it's amazing how um, people rationalize those things, so, yeah. And I think it's been some people's experience in the confessional over the last 30 years, too, is that they go in there and confess these things, and then they're just told that it's not a sin. Yeah. Sort of malformation of conscience. Oh, no, it's very true. No, hey, my first time going to confession out here in L.A., the priest told me, you're being too hard on yourself. And I said, Father, I've had nine years of theology. I was in religious life, nine and a half years. I am not being too hard on myself, so can I have absolution, please, just for my own, you know? But, um, yeah, I hate that, you know? It's like if I'm talking about it in confession, it's because it is nagging me. Yeah. But anyway, I just I think the temptation distinction, because um, we hear a lot people say, well, Jesus was just like us, he was tempted just like us, and see, the idea is, of course, yes, he he felt the, aw- he was aware of the options out there, and he felt their weight but he did not flirt with them. Temptation for, I mean, sin would have been when Satan says, turn the stones into bread. If the gospel then said, and Jesus bent over and picked up one of the stones, looked at it in his hand, weighed it in his hand, (laughs) and then, and licked it. Like, that's sin. Hmm. You know, that is, you are flirting with the idea. You're already over the boundary. Interesting to look at the, the words, the Hebrew word for temptation, it, it's equivalent word for experience. You know, oh, so it's kind yeah. of a neutral thing. It's huh. like, this happens. Mm-hmm. Right. What do I do is another matter. Right. That's it's like, how do you react in. to it? That's how right. do I miss the mark? And the temptation itself, how, if, it, if it's just as fleeting, that's not, that's not necessarily a sin. No, no, yeah. No, it's, just, it's what you do with it, it's if you feed it. Yeah, and by the time you're offering it something to drink, you are you are way or you know, you know. And and we're going to see later, you know, why when Christ starts saying the Pharisees say it's when you do this stuff, I say it's when you want this stuff. Like that's what you know. He's calling us to a life of purity of desires, not just purity of action. So, yes. This might be for another day, but mm-hmm. because we brought up the scrupulosity and sure. that thing, mm-hmm. like. Um, of course, in my own experience, I've even quoted that stuff, <laughs> and in my American thing, it's uh-huh. whatever. But like, then I look at, you know, you look at St. Francis, it just mm-hmm. makes this pop in my head, because mm-hmm. he's almost seems bipolar, like parent, you know, like, mm-hmm. so there's some of these saints that are just so uh, hard on themselves, and nowadays it's like, you know, I've heard it in confession too, you're beating yourself up, right. you know, that, that, that. I'm like, yeah, but if I beat myself up, I probably won't do it again, like, you know, and I just don't know where the line is. Growth and holiness. Mm -hmm. Like, if you look at the saints, they become very aware of sin in their life. Mm -hmm. And so, to see someone who, I mean, there is a a line where people are, it's a false pride for some people Mm -hmm. to say, oh, I'm so bad, because you're really setting yourself up as being special Mm -hmm. because you're bad. And so you have to watch for that. But if someone develops a prayer life, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, they go through a honeymoon period, or, you know, a time where it's very nice, but it's very normal for people to then begin to see their lives much more critically. And, yeah. and, and it's important, I think, to have a, have a regular confessor that understands that trajectory, because otherwise it could just look like almost a kind of spiritual see, Remember that part, one of the conditions for sin is full understanding. When you are living in a life clouded by, with a lot of sin, your understanding is clouded. So you don't perceive as clearly how evil something is. So it's, you can be absolutely honest right. and say, you know, this is not wrong or this is wrong, you know. And, and but but then as you get closer to God and He, he like <laughs> blows the smoke away, 
and suddenly you see, oh my gosh, I've been doing this thing, I've been treating this person like this forever, and I didn't, I never realized I was killing them. You know, this has been a violation of the fifth commandment. That's the pain of the saints more. Right, yeah. that the, the saints, in, in their proximity to God, that they, their vision gets very clear. So th when we talk about having full knowledge, full freedom, full consent, you know, your consent is weakened when you're living in patterns of sin, yeah. you know, so, but the saints get, a, they get you know, for, I mean, they move, compared to God, they're moving this much closer compared to us, you know, they're moving more. So I think that's a part of it, too. And, and I would say that yeah. scrupulosity is still quite common, really? but, um, it, but it, but you would never see them because it's just the people come. They're people who are tortured who come to confession sure. three times a week. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and but it's really related to a mental illness. It's right. really right. What right. the people and who it's have not the most people. Most no, people. no, 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 yeah. no, no. But the people who have obsessive compulsive order in our age now and wash their hands a hundred mm -hmm. times fifty years ago, if they were Catholic, might have been the kind of people who would, that would have manifested itself in religious behavior. Right. But it's not, yeah. That's not yeah, I find, um, you know, I mean, when I was a novice, I had a little brief phase with, with scrupulosity, and I remember finally Strickensetta saying to me, okay, because I would stop going to communion all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and she's like, there is no way you're committing all of these mortal sins. What are you doing? You know, and, and she's like, gee, don't you realize Jesus wants to go to communion with you more than you want, you know, right. and, and, but then she finally said to me, look, this is what I'm going to tell you. Unless you can put your hand on your heart and swear, knowing everything you know, I am in a state of mortal sin. She's like, go to communion. <laughs> so, and, you know, and that was great. It was because, you know, I was in this weird, but, you know, I was a novice, and it's proper to the novitiate that you are right. very, very um, conscious of every little thing, and you're magnifying it and everything like that. But, um, you know, I think... It's know, partially fed by the more, the closer you get to, to, you know, in your relationship, that you become more and more aware of your abuse of God's grace. Because that's the way it is for me. It's you know, it's it's a more of awareness level as the smoke continues to be blown away, you know, uh, um, and and that can be a trap. And I have fallen in that that trap before because of that, you know. But but I you know I it, it helps me to see it as is really part of part of what that is is, is you know when I go okay whatever and you know being too hard on myself. It's like well no, I am abusing God's grace here. You know, yeah, it's not the end of the world, and you know, the God knows me kind of thing. Right. But I'm abused, but by even copying that attitude of God knows me, I'm sort of abusing His, oh, gra yeah. his grace so, a little bit. Which you is know? why I think Father's point about having a spiritual director, like you know, we weren't supposed to, we're not supposed to go into confession the way we were when we were six years old. You know, Father, I did this three times, I did that four times, I did this three times. You know, like that. We learned how to do that when we were seven. But we're supposed to be as adults now, and the idea is to be in relationship with a confessor, mm -hmm. somebody who can, who knows your patterns, and who could say to you, you know, that one you're stuck on. You know, you just you're really stuck on that. But meanwhile, you have this elephant sitting in your living room that you seem fine with. You know, but you're you're really really weird about this thing. Like that's the beauty of a confessor is that they can hear, um, uh, you know, and you have a relationship with them. And but you know, a lot of people don't, they, they haven't been trained for that. So and we haven't offered it. I mean, I think that's true. I mean, How many priests say, you know, I don't, I, w I have appointments. I would love to be meeting with all my parishioners, you know, right. every half hour, every day. You know, yeah, they, they just can't. But and the uh, the thing I love about confession is both could be true. I mean, the person might be being really too hard on themselves, and they might have a lot of sin in their life. 
but reconciliation is a way to bring those together mm -hmm. and then move forward. Yeah. Um, so we're going to really hope that when you know as you become Catholic as the process goes on, and you know those of you who are Catholic, we try to get you into a relationship with a confessor, who you know you see um, you see on a regular basis. You have a relationship with them, and you find somebody who's the right fit. And sometimes you have to try two or three, you know. But then and they move on to another parish. Then they move on to another <laughs> parish, and, and you you know you adapt. But I think adult confession is what we're going for here. To use the sacrament of reconciliation as in a way that supplements your life as an adult apostle, and um, and that's you know and that's very very advantageous. Yeah. What's a good definition of uh, scrupulosity? Is it like and uh, second question? Scrupulosity is thinking things that aren't sins are sins. Okay, mm -hmm. it's like in the it's like OCD, like meticulousness. Yeah, I mean it can be a, like Father. I like Father's. Like and maybe even thinking yeah. thi things that aren't mortal sins are are sins, sins, right? Okay. Yeah, things that just like losing the. Um, you know, another thing Sister Consetta said to me, and you know, we're going to get to sin, so, but something's fair repeating. Um, but um, she said to us, um, when it talks about grave matter, when you're talking about mortal sin, grave matter is that you violate the word of the, you violate, violate the literal text of the Ten Commandments. You know, like, that's grave matter. Because otherwise, you know, and, and you know, we can, we'll talk about it more down the road. But honestly, otherwise, what are you going to do with the other stuff? You know, if everything is grave matter, then what are you going to, or what are you going to do with the Ten Commandments? You know, so anyway, I, for me that was very helpful, and it's like, wow, a lot of stuff that I've made grave matter in my mind, you know, isn't something that should keep me away from the sacraments. Yeah. Um, and uh, and but you know, whatever, you start playing games with yourself. Yeah. And then it sort of is focused on us instead of Christ again, yeah. right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the main problem. Right. Yeah. So or people worry that they didn't confess everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, All about me. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I've heard that could be Catholic fairy tale about Peter, but <laughs> um, that he would like leave the confessional and that he would be scrupulous. Oh, he's very scrupulous. Yeah. Leave the confessional yeah. and go back Torture. in. Yeah, he's that, that Luther. Luther. Oh. That's why. That's, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. when you know that about Luther, it explains an awful lot of why, why he, he kind of made some things like. Ugh, I want this out of my life. Yeah. You know, I don't want to have to think about this or deal with this. So we're just going to proclaim that it isn't about works. It's about you know whatever. It's about just wanting it, and that's it. You know. So you poor man. You know. Anyway, yeah. I just wanted to ask a quick question. Sure. So what is like the deal with that? Like, what if you forget about certain sins and you don't confess them? Um, well, when you go to confession, and you know, granted, we're kind of anticipating here, but um, when you go to confession, you you say the ones that are you know try to make as good examination of conscience as you can. And you 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 mention grave matter, you know, right. when you have really something serious. If you don't have grave matter, and you know, and hopefully you don't most of the time, but you still want to go to the sacrament of reconciliation because it makes of you, because um, venial sin is is problematic in that it right. leads you into serious sin, and also it just makes you not happy. You know, so um, I think um, the idea is to say at the end of your confession, you know, and for everything else, I can't. Yeah. I can't remember, or you know, I'm sorry. So you're kind of like putting your whole life up there, and um, you know, and, and what do you think about that? I think it's true. And yeah. as long as you don't intentionally leave right. something right. out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. When you and find yourself saying, I'm, "I'm not going to mention the internet thing." Yeah. yeah. You or you euphemize, you put it in a euphemism <laughs> so great that the preacher says, "Right, yeah, yeah." No, but you know, because that's now a grievous <laughs> matter. That, that's now that's a grievous matter. That's how I do matter. business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're take, you're making a sacrilege. You're taking this holy thing and you are using it in a manipulative way, right. um, okay. and that's you know bad. So uh, 
But yeah, basically everybody ends their confession by saying everything else they can't remember. Or all the sins in my past life, right. or yeah. you know, yeah. like that. Good. Okay, well, we'll get all to that, I promise you, later on. But let's continue with the Galilean ministry. Mm -hmm. And somebody want to read um, the beginning of the Galilean ministry? Can I just say one thing, though? Sure. That we didn't say that, that in that first temptation, mm -hmm. Jesus replies that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Mm -hmm. And I just keep looking at that verse as we're talking, mm -hmm. how, like, what you're saying about... Um, That's good um, yeah, I didn't even talk about Jesus' answer. Yeah, Jesus' <laughs> response is I was waiting to come back to his response. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, I mean, how, what do you, how do you read that? Because there's so much, there's so much there's cool so, stuff There's in so that. much there, like what you were saying about um, how the base sins, the base pleasures lead to the greater sins. Mm -hmm. um, and I was thinking about something I read once about the connection between um, chastity and um, gluttony mm -hmm. and the, the yeah. connection between the the virtues um, but that he takes us right from the physicality mm -hmm. I guess right. to the transcendent yeah. to the greater yeah um, yeah but it's lovely you're know, right I'm sure you could no 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 I mean I think it's beautiful there, it's, a, it's like Jesus is saying you know man has a spiritual side and the fact is that even if we could fill their bellies forever it wouldn't make them happy and that's why the temptation is is so demonic because Satan is saying, let's just fill their bellies. And, and Jesus is saying, and they'll still be miserable, you know, even if we did. Because they have, they, are, they have a spiritual side to them that will only be filled by the word of God, me. Mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, so um, I think, um, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful um, you know, response to Satan. He's not just shutting them up with a, a quip. He's, he's basically saying, you know, that wouldn't be enough. And, and I know that, and you're not going to make me, um, this, you know, I'm, I'm not going to forget that. So, yeah, and, lovely. And tying it to, too, how, I mean, some mm. of the, the denominations, like I'm thinking of the Mormons, how apparently they're so famous for um, uh, material support to people. Right. And, like, their own welfare system. Yeah, and, and even the Muslims, you know, like, they promise a God, their God is going to give them a material kingdom. Yeah. And it's like, nope. And if you draw yeah. people 72 virgins that. is not going to um, be paradise for us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is the, you know, like the promise of, you know, if you just blow yourself up, you get 72 virgins, and in the next virgins? line, virgins, you get 72 virgins, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, the word the virgins. Very, you know, apparently in the translation, the word is very close to raisins. And so my, my friend Karen Paul is always saying, well, what if they do get their 72 raisins? I still want to be there. You know, they're going to be like, no, wait. You know. But um, anyway, no, you're right. I mean, it's, uh, in, it's wait, in, in what, in Arabic? Um, yes, apparently it's a very similar Virgin word. Is Virgin raisins? is close to raisins. Well, I'm still yeah. So um, anyway, no, but it's a very good point. Um, and then, of course, the next. You know, <laughs> There's a whole lot of jokes in there. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Temptation number two, uh, Father Point pointed out that, you know, that this is the one where, um, you know, don't put God, the Lord your God to the test, that you think you can live a life without limits, and then um, when things go wrong, tell God, well, save me. You know, it's like, it's, you don't get to do that. You don't get to make, um, to make God serve you um, by completely violating <laughs> everything, you know, everything in his law. So, um, and then finally, um, you know, him alone shall you serve. The idea that if we just all get on the devil's team, we will um, have peace. And Christ is like, 
it's war between us. We will only serve God, and that means it's going to be war. So, yeah, the answers of Christ here are um, you know, the heart of it, actually. <laughs> but sorry about that. <laughs> okay, um, Galilee. And true community comes. Yes. True community comes in those through serving Christ. Exactly. And, that, see, and that's the point of all three, is that Satan is saying, this is the way to have this thing met. And no, the fact is that if we all served Satan, we wouldn't have true community any more than the people, the, than the demons in hell have true community. You know, Screwtape Letters is this vision of, Lewis envisions hell like a communist state. Um, and, uh, but the idea that the, that the demons are, you know, jealous of one another and, and you know, it, it, that that is not, the, the, Satan's kingdom is not the model for community. And so, um, yeah. He does. He can't give it. He can't deliver that. None of the things that he he tempts us to. So. Okay. Good. It just reminds me how much work we have to do for Jesus. <laughs> yes. You know. I'm sorry. I know that was a pretty simple thing to say, but because there's just so many other offerings out there. Right. You know. Yesterday, Father at Mass was giving this sermon about um this book that's out, The World is Flat, mm -hmm. or The World's Getting Flat, or something like that, The mm -hmm. World is Flat, and, and how, like, economy and commerce are going to be what, and the globalization is what is going to save the world, but <laughs> none yeah. of that matters if, yeah. I mean, any time we, and that's always the danger, you know, say with the social ministries of the church, is that we're, it looks like we're promising people like, this is what religion is, it's basically social work, it's basically, you know, it's basically getting the world's problem solved. It's basically, you know, when Jesus says the poor you will always have with you, mm -hmm. he's not saying don't help the poor, but he's saying, you know, it's, don't, you know, that's not why I have a church, mm -hmm. so that we can fix up, you know, um, we can make the world, uh, you know, we're going to deliver the world from all of its suffering. You know, it, it's not, the fellowship of the church is to get us through the suffering. You know, to his kingdom. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Good. Okay, um, so uh, Galilean ministry, great. Hey, the beginning of the Galilean ministry. When he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Cap Capernaum by the sea, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. That what had been said through Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. On those dwelling in a land overshadowed by death, light has arisen. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Great. Um, thank you. Um, there's so much uh, I really recommend, and I hope that you will be inspired um, by this to really enroll in some scripture study if you haven't taken them already, because there's so much to say that's so cool about um, the um, why Jesus makes an appearance in Galilee. I'm going to say a couple things, but know that um, really if you want to um, get so much more out of the scriptures, you should really try and study them in, in with somebody who's good uh, at some point, and hopefully this will whet your appetite to do that. Scriptures are amazing uh, to unpack when you've had that opportunity. But I just want to say a couple things about Galilee here, and, and, and you know anybody wants to add any other, I'm sure uh, Father and Clayton have way more to say. But... Um, uh, Galilee was um, the crossroads of the world at this point. Um, Galilee was the land through which you had to pass to get to Iraq, pretty much, you know, and it's the region of the Decapolis. 
the ten cities. Um, it's it's just you know it's at the top part of the Holy Land, and so um, it, it had a lot of of traffic of the Gentiles, you know, and it's um, and so at, called the Galilee of the Gentiles actually. And what had happened to the Jewish people in Galilee was there was a tremendous amount of intermarriage that had happened there, and this is one reason that the people of Judah looked down on the Galileans terribly. And we see this later on. Well, what, what good could come out of Galilee? That is the place of where they've been defiled. And they meaning just, intermarriage with non-Jews. Yeah, intermarriage with non-Jews, which you know has huge ramifications with the Messiah thing, right? Because the Messiah has to be, you know, of the, of the Jewish people, and so coming from Galilee already, chances are your grandparents. You know, or half weren't even you know half Jew or half Jewish or something. So there's a tremendous animosity in the Judean um, and the, the, the Jews in, in Judah towards um, the Galileans. They were looked down on. Um, I just love that Christ uh, makes his appearance there. And also, again, the the part of Israel which is the most populated by Gentiles, um, non-Jews. The the devotion of the the primary devotion of the um, the Gentile pagans at this point in history um, in this region was the devotion to Astarte, who is the fertility goddess. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, it's quite remarkable when you, if you think about it. She was, it was, her name is Astarte, A-S-T-A-R-T-E. And uh, she promised fertility in um, not only children, but in your crops, in your in jobs, in your you know, everything would be bountiful for you. Um, the, the land would produce, uh, your job would produce, your investments would produce, your fishing would bring in a big catch, your, uh, your family would have many children. And, and so this goddess of fertility was very, very seductive for the Jews, and many of them had succumbed to worship of the goddess Astarte. And then um, I, I think it's just... Um, I don't want to say much more about it than that, but that that is the um, the one that Jesus is kind of preaching against in the sense when he's calling this people of the region back um, to be faithful Jews. Uh, she's the one who he's, she's the competition. In other words, that the Jews have set up a little altar to her, you know. Um, and, okay, now the other thing I want to say is... Um, uh, okay, repent um, for the kingdom is at hand. Um, um, I, have to, I always give this little speech during RCA because there's one time I went to a holy uh, it was um, mass at St. Paul the Apostle Church here in the Westwood, and the priest it was um, it was the first Sunday of Advent, and the priest just enraged me, and the rage is and good because it has kept me for nine years giving this speech. But um, basically, he said. Well, here we are heading into Advent, and I just had dinner with my Jewish friend, he's a rabbi, and he said to me, hey, if Jesus was the Messiah, why is the world still like this, huh? You know, why is it still such a shithole? And I said to him, I don't know. <laughs> now, this was basically the stuff, the substance of the homily for the first Sunday of Advent. It got worse in that, I was sitting there, and um, I was a nun at the time. Actually, this would go back to eighty. Let's go back to eighty-nine, I guess. And he happened to be sitting on the aisle, and he was walking up and down the aisle with his microphone, <laughs> and and basically he said, "I didn't know what to tell him." And then he went, "Sister, you tell him," like that. And I went, 
And he goes, see? Even sister can't say it. And the people all laughed. And um, so in my mind, for the rest of that homily, and and in fact, every time I pass St. Paul the Apostle Church, I have composed my little thing here. So the thing is, when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, um, later on he says the kingdom is among you. Um, such an interesting word because the word that's used there for the kingdom of God is among you could also be variously translated the kingdom of God is within you the kingdom of God is before you all three um, work God bless you (coughs) whatever that was Okay. Um, God bless you Will thank you so much Um, glad you took your time now so think about this when Jesus is going around saying the kingdom of God is here the kingdom of God is, is within you, it's among you, it's before you. There are three senses in which the kingdom of God has been launched by the Messiah, by the, the Messiah, Messianic age of Jesus. So the first one is the kingdom of God is within you. That, that God's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. It is, it is a matter of, of conquering through um, you know, the spiritual warfare going on to make us love what is good and hate what is evil. So the sense of the victory being a spiritual one, this is why when we look at the cross, we say, you know, this is a victory because Christ made a perfect, pure offering in which he wasn't guilty and never took it back, not an ounce. And we managed to carry that off through death when you know, knowing that death was not the end. So that, that victory was, it was a spiritual victory um, uh, in which, you know, uh, going on there. So there's a sense in which the kingdom of God that, that Jesus has established makes it possible for you to suddenly wage war on your, your darker impulses, um, your flesh, if you want to say that, or whatever, um, from the power of your spirit. You receive communion, you go, and you get energy to wage war, um, to, to fight in the spiritual contest. And the victories that you win, most are known to God alone. Right? That's, so there's a sense where that was not possible before Christ, but the spiritual kingdom is established. Okay, now that's the spirit. The kingdom of God is, uh, is within you. The, ki- the kingdom of God is among you is the church. That Christ came, and then when we look around, we say, okay, Things are still pretty bad, but think of just, you know, even in our time, which is so, I think, you know, wandered far from God, every time has, but, you know, whatever, right now, it's just so not hip. But even now, just think of how many acts of love were done today through the church, the people of God who, who are out there um, just today, that would not be done were not, did not this man Jesus walk on the earth saying the kingdom of God is among you. Like he gave us permission for the hospitals and the, the AIDS clinics and the nursing homes and the, and then, you know, the everything else. I mean, those are just the big obvious stuff, the, the universities and the schools and the, the crisis pregnancy centers and the, you name it. I mean, you can't even number the acts of love and sacrifice and mercy that that have been done in the name of Christ. They far far outpace and exceed the number of the the evil things that have been done in the name of Christ. And I would absolutely stake that territory um, with, with, you know, 
because I know my mother's going to her little nursing home every week and visiting her, her old people and that nobody knows, but she does it because of Jesus. And I know there are many, many millions of people doing that. So, so the kingdom of God is among you. It's like, it's like, okay, now you start living for each other. Now. Because you are my disciples. And, um, and that is, that's the church. We're here now in this room because of that. Don't you think I have something else to do on Monday night? I mean, Father and Clayton, I mean, you know, honestly, it's, it's only because I believe it was real. All right, so the, that's the kingdom of God is among you, the church. Um, and then the kingdom of God is before you. There is an, an, what we call an eschatological aspect to this kingdom. That it is before us in its fullness. We have a, we have a, we carry it inside of us. We carry the, the glimmer of it and the, the the little victories. We see it in the church in in halting imperfect measures. It's before us in its perfection. That that it will be realized, um, where every tear will be wiped away. Where where the you know all nations will be as one. Where we will be gathered around the Lamb in the New Jerusalem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are at least three senses of this kingdom that Christ is proclaiming. That's what I would have said to that damn priest. That <laughs> All right. Wasn't a 30-second soundbite, you know? <laughs> no, he isn't a damn priest. He was trying, he was just being too cute, you know? And it's like, this is not the time to be cute because the people don't know the answer. And and you can be cute with priests, but don't be cute with the lay people on the first Sunday at Advent and basically tell them, yeah, well, you know, I was born Irish. You know, I, I, you know I, what are you doing? Anyway, sorry. Okay, so, um, um, now, the other cool part of the Galilean ministry uh, thing that I want to bring your attention to is that Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Hmm? He doesn't say believe and repent, which is the Protestant version, I think. No. Okay. I'm just saying, not from my perspective. Right. I hear more often from them that you believe and then the stuff follows, the, your behavior follows. No, repent. From my training in, in the Baptist church, sure. you had to repent before, you know, that, that but was, that you was repent the first thing to, to turn you away. Right. You had to turn away. Before you, before you hear the gospel? Oh, no. Right. No, no, no exactly. I hear Jesus saying, if you want to hear the gospel, repent. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's back to that clouded thing that you can't see the kingdom until you stop your evil stuff. You cannot cold God and mammon and whatever it is, whatever you've got. So it's like he's pleading with them. If you will just stop this stuff for a minute, you will be able to see God. You'll be able to take hold of him. But, but I, I hear the other thing uh, very often, and, and maybe it's just the way they're talking. I, I, think, yeah. I think it's a religious concept okay. more than pervasive. Because I hear the same thing from your church. Mm-hmm. You, know, and, 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 you know, you have to believe you have to do these things and then, right. and then repent in some place. Mm-hmm. But I love the concept of because you know what, if, if you decide what yeah. your path is before you've actually had a chance to get the hell away from it, right. then you don't know what you're doing. I mean, and that's, I mean, what, that's what yeah. I spent 20 years of my religious life, you know, you yeah. know 
Kind and of do and it, it has you know. huge ramifications for evangelization, doesn't it? As far as like, can you even start with someone mm -hmm. when they are, say, you know, okay, my brother-in-law is an alcoholic. You know, we couldn't even start with him until he needed to admit that he was powerless over alcohol. Like he needed to stop. And otherwise it was just a game we were all playing. You know, um, and uh, so I, I think that's one sense, and you know, it's whatever your poison is. But um, repent and then believe. I love that. Mm -hmm. um, okay, um, and and this is all about the darkening of the intellect that's caused by sin. Like, mm -hmm. it, it just doesn't. It's it's amazing, but it doesn't it doesn't fit for why people would believe? Or I'm, I'm just trying to. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is the flip of what I've been right. taught. You, mm -hmm. you know, you teach people there's you know, you sell the gospel based on sin and you right. set and you you prove your need to to Christ through you know, to proving them that they're a sinner. Uh -huh. And it's like why why would they? Because, why would they repent? Because why they, they see stop? your life and your light so shines that they imitate you. Because they want what you have. Yeah. And you so your light and we're gonna get to that the thing of the light. But honestly I think that that when someone is trying to, because it's a, it's always about the freedom of the will, and we're not going to trick somebody here, you know. It, but as long as someone is clinging to their God, they have a God already, um, and that's what sin is. It's I've got this other God. You have to tr say this God has let me down, you know. And there's that great. I love one of the passages of the Old Testament. It has a mouth, but it doesn't speak to me. It has ears, but it doesn't listen to me. It has hands, but it can't do anything for me. Like, it seems to me that repentance, is, it has to happen that a person has gone through that moment. And then this is, this is a dead end. And then now um, uh, I can believe. So it's like, oh, you know, about relationship, it seems like, you know, you need to, you can't just fix the relationship and say, okay, I believe our relationship's fine. Right, yeah. Yeah. Without stopping the behavior you did to screw up the relationship, yeah. and there's a pre-evangelization. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think mm -hmm. the steps of evangelization are, are. I mean, there's lots of lots right. of steps. There's a pre-evangelization where you introduce people, where they get to see. But until people, I mean, Ignatius on his big on the retreat, if you're clinging to mortal sin, you're not going to be able to do. If, if you're worshiping another god, you yeah. you can't. There's there's not going to be any believing. You know, and, and that's what's really about. You know, so Jesus basically going through Galilee saying, Reject Astarte and her promises of giving you everything. Repent of that and then you can believe and then you can be part see the kingdom around. That is that is the complete flip of it all like when I did Protestant evangelism is you, you prove it to it's, it's almost theory, you prove mm -hmm. it that right. it's true and then they, they you buy your ticket and you get on. Yeah. You get on board yeah. with us Christians. Well yeah. look yeah. This is how it is. This is the model. This is sin. That's not right. what I hear Jesus saying. I know. Yeah. Well, it, it feels too to our consumer mentality. We want it right now. I mean, yeah. Yeah. pre-evangelization is mm -hmm. so, um, yeah. so not immediately satisfying. And, you know, we don't want to turn it into, like, just, you know. For who? For yeah. for the evangelist? Mm -hmm. well, <laughs> yeah. Or the evangelist. I mean, yeah. I think it's part, I, I think yeah, it's right. part of so it. Yeah. I think that's what's pervasive. Like, skip over that. It's like, well, it's yeah. good. Right, mm -hmm. right. And we don't want to make this too, you know, well, this means if you're living with somebody, you're not married, you need to stop that before you can come. No. I'm talking about where you really, something, if we go back to, remember the first week when we talked about what is your security in? What is your deity? What is the thing that you have, you really uh, um, are sure is going to be, is defining you? Um, 
and that you have to drop, you have to say that thing is hollow. Um, and and then you know when you've got God is very polite. He's not going to share an altar with another God. Yeah. So you have to repent of that other God, and then you can believe. And repent, yeah. repent just means to turn. So turn it's essentially, it's yeah. just yeah. that action. And, and the, the word, again, what, that kon- what is that word? The great it's Greek word, konoya. No, 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 no. No, what's the word? Metanoia. Metanoia. Yeah, I was trying to remember the word. The the proclamation is kerygma, which I love. The the kerygma is, and we're going to talk a little bit about what he's what the kerygma is. But the metanoia of the turnaround, you know, from the Greek, it's that's the best kind of translation of it. The turnaround. Um, that's what has to happen. And then you can see the kingdom all around you. Right. And mo- yeah. don't you think most people in the pews mm-hmm. are in a pre-evangelization stage? Um, I think they are all, their gods haven't disappointed them enough yet. And so um, they are, um, yeah, I think that their gods haven't disappointed them enough yet. So yeah. when, but when yeah. people get to that point, it's mm-hmm. a wonderful place to be yeah. Yeah. If, you're the, if you happen yeah. to be the person when yeah. they're ready. Mm-hmm. But One of the best statements I ever heard of that moment was when Barbara Hall said to me, um, I bought a new house in Pacific Palisades. I was I was in charge of judging Amy. I got my own show. I bought a new house. She said, and I walked into my house and I turned around and I said, this is all there is. And then I knew I had to go become a Christian. <laughs> wow. but, but it's a great, it's like she got it all. And then saw it. It was and it was over as soon as I walked over the um, the threshold, and I saw the I saw the end of it, and I knew I had to have something more. So that's metanoia. I've never known anybody that's had it over over that point. I was used to it's over falling in love or suffering. Right. Well, she'd had both. You know, she'd had definitely both of them. But I think she had she had this goal for herself that she was going to get this house in the Palisades and she's going to run her own show, and then she got them both really fast together, and it was just like. There, this is it. This is not enough. This is, you know, I can already see the bottom of it. Yeah. So, um, okay. Now, um, um, let's talk a little bit about this kerygma, and uh, basically, the, what is the good news? You know, we talk about the good news um, that Jesus is bringing, and um, we're so didn't even get to chapter four. Uh, the good news. So, I mean, basically, um, the good news I think could be uh, um, reduced to the following: um, love. The first good news is of love. Um, that God um, knows you, he's, he is someone who has created because he wants people to experience love and because he is a being of love. So he creates in love and he creates for love. And that this is the news that Jesus is bringing that is good news. Um, the idea of, you know, it's so funny because I was just driving over here and I heard Al Rentel on um, KBC basically said, I heard somebody today say, this thing happened to me. Why is God, you know, why does God allow that, you know, to happen? What is God saying to me by that? And I said to myself, what a arrogant, what a piece of arrogance. If, you know, the creator of the universe cares about your house, he's like, the universe is like a grain, he actually said this in the radio, it's like a grain of sand on the ocean, and he cares about your house. And I'm sitting there driving saying, yeah, <laughs> that's what Jesus came to tell us. <laughs> And so that's the good news, you know, and um, uh, so that's one big part of it. Um, uh, the second part of the, the good news was peace, um, the restoration of the relationship with God um, is now, uh, it's possible, it is possible for us to be at peace among each other um, with God in our own nature so that we're not constantly experiencing this war 
of you know St. Paul's, why do I do the thing that I hate? We don't have to live that way. Um, and so basically Jesus is like, oh, please, you, know, you can have peace. You don't have to be at war. Um, and, um, and then number three um, is um, hope. Um, we can, um, we have resurrection. We have a, an ultimate, a better place. We have another life waiting for us um, that we can't see. And it, it begins in this life, but then it gets so much better. So um, I think um, really the good news um, for me, this is this is the thing that um, you know he's basically announcing when we talk about the good news. Anything else major that I left out? I think. I mean, all the other stuff to me kind of is reducible to that. You know, you know what you said yeah. there about um, we don't have to be at war. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, right. we don't, do we? Yeah. And we c we do continue to choose that a little bit. I mean, right. even with yeah. our um, I can't even think of the term, the one that you really uh, clung to earlier. And go oh. to confession yeah. too often. Scrupulosity. Scrupulosity. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, we're we are in we are in, uh, we are being assaulted. We're we're at war. You know, there's spiritual warfare going on. Sure. Right. But we we can be at peace in the middle of that war. We can go yeah. and sin no more. Right. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. Yep. We can. It wouldn't be. Um. You know, Jesus said, "Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy." Right. He didn't say, you know, wink, wink. <laughs> right. You know, it's like you don't have to sin. You have absolutely have the power in your hand not sin. Because here's the thing, guys: if you didn't, it wouldn't be sin. It's only sin because you have the power right. not to. Right. That's good. Yeah. What makes us a sinner then? Because that's there's always been like we are all sinners and everyone. I'll, I'll give you what uh, Bernadette like, said. No Bernadette of Lourdes, Bernadette Subaru said, a "Sinner is someone who loves their sin." <laughs> So um, I mean, we're, we're sin. You know, we're sin because we want we want shortcuts to. Um, we're, we're thinking these things are going to give us joy. Thomas Aquinas says no human being can live without joy. And so we're looking for the things that are going to give us joy. And we're making and we're making bad calls, which is um, getting to the light shining. But that means like get. sinner literally means someone who does sin. Like the way I just had it in my head that like we're all sinners and have mm -hmm. fallen short of the glory of God. Right. So it's just yeah. Like, mm -hmm we are sinners until we die. Yeah. But we can stop being sinners. You can sinners. stop being sinners with Christ. With Christ. Right. Only right. with, yeah. right. Only with Christ. Even, right. even then, we're mm -hmm. such in such a web. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nobody's really it. done it. But we forget yeah. that that's the goal. I know. Yeah. I oh, that's like the totally yeah. the goal. Oh, yeah. And again, that whole piece of, of, of grace thing, we go, oh, you know. Yeah. 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 But no, that is the ultimate goal. And that and that's really the measure that we, sh we need, you know, I mean, or the standard we need to measure ourselves against. Because that's where we need, you know, because we're we're told to live like Christ. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you have, you know, Mary did it, right? Did the saints ever stop sinning, or did um, just we don't know? Holiness? We don't know. Um, you know, I mean, um, you know, we really don't know. They asked Joan of Arc, you know, are you in a state of grace? And she said, the great answer from this uneducated French peasant girl. She said, um, um, I pray to God that if I'm not I pray to God to keep me there, and I and if I'm not, that He puts me back as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it was this like great, you know, answer. Uh, but even she couldn't say, you know, um, with certainty, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not sinning uh, at any moment. Because so even if we're not sinning, we have sin within us. Yeah. 
the, the great dissertation. Yeah, the that's great. That's what I mean. Is that yeah. what makes us a sinner? I think that's what blinds us to the things that are sins. Well, I mean, your your sin, your habits of sin, make you more prone to chew, to you darkens your intellect. But at every moment, it's only a sin because you can choose not to. Yeah. Yes. Well, um, what I wanted to say that um, has really kind of helped explain it to me, like just in my own experience, is like even nannying the three-year-old, um, you can really see where like original sin kind of comes from. Like her ten I mean, not that she does yeah. anything really wrong, she doesn't know how to yet, but her tendencies follow that pattern of mm -hmm. sin, exactly those things, community, yeah. wanting satisfaction through like, you oh, know, cool. she wants, she doesn't want broccoli, she wants you know, the chocolate, sugar or chocolate right, yeah. for lunch, yeah, you know, uh -huh. and just like whatever, anything to get satisfaction, anything to get attention, mm -hmm. community, anything yeah. to get like, mm -hmm. you know, what she wants, like anything yeah. that, like she'll complain about her toys. Well, I don't want this, or I want this. How come I don't have this? And kind it's of just thing? like a power exercise of power. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you learn yeah. to not do that when you get, you know, when you start, when you, you know, it's you get re you, you get spiritual reasons yeah. to not to not sin, yeah. or that is your natural tendency right. until you're aware. It is, and and say. that's the, you know, I mean that that's what makes us different is that we can have an intellectual or emotional or psychological or spiritual reason that can actually change our behavior, which is like my cat cannot do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, she's a good cat, but she's like no, <laughs> there's not going to be any rationale that's going to keep her from, you know, her, her cat food when she wants it. Right. And, um, and so, you know, that's, that's why when we hear us kind of dismissed as being material beings, you know, we need to scream. It's, it's not even true. It's not true in anyone's experience that we're just matter. We're just stuff. There's another part of the And to think yeah. that we can't go from the instincts and like lack of discipline of a three-year-old mm -hmm. as adults, we can't get past that. Like so many people make excuses like, well, this is just human nature. This is just right. what we do. Are you kidding me? Yeah. You're not three. You're like not three. you're a grown-up yeah. and you know yeah. this Oh, I hear that all the time about when people say, well, kids are going to have sex. It's like, they're not alley cats. Right. <laughs> like, give them a better vision. Give them a better, um, you know, give them something to strive for. Don't, don't decide they're, they're animals. Like, call them to be heroes. And some people will make it and some won't and whatever, but at least if you're calling them to be, you know, to, um, to be great. And we can. We're capable of that. Mm -hmm. So the idea of give the people a vision or they perish. Um, you know, it's not give the dogs a vision or they perish. Right. You know, th they don't need a vision. They're not gonna. It's gonna work. So, it's all it's all the spirit side. Yeah, it's cool. Okay, um, we got to call the first disciples, and we have only a few more minutes left here. Um, but um, let's see. Um, blah 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 blah. blah. Okay. Um, you know, what? I I don't want. I'm not gonna read this because I want to get to um, salt and light because where I ended. Okay. So let me just say this about what I had to say about the. Um, the uh, call of the disciples was not much. Hold on. Oh, okay. Well, I, this is what I was going to say about that, and then I'll certainly take, you know, if you want to have questions about this. But one of the things that I think is so cool in this pericope is that <coughs> the first thing Jesus does, okay, he gets tempted by Satan. He gets baptized. He goes and broods him over his mission. You know, he um, comes out of there and starts a church. So Jesus didn't like preach on his own for six months or a year. The first thing he did was start the church. <coughs> what does that say to you? What does that say to you? How he's going to save us? Yeah, and I mean the, em <coughs> could, the emphasis couldn't be any stronger that he wants us to do it together. 
He wants us to do this thing together. So when you feel like I can pray to God on a mountain, it's like, well, yes, and you should. But he wants you to do it together. That, that we are, he's a God in community. The Trinity is a community, and we are called to community. Um, but just think about that. The first thing he did was um, build a church. Um, okay, and um, then, then he goes around Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, um, and curing every disease and illness among the people, and Syria, blah, blah, blah. Okay, good. Um, any questions about that? Any particular uh, insights there? Because I have another one I really wanted to get to tonight. Let's do it. <laughs> you can tell I'm like, you know, I'm running the show and I don't want to talk about the call of the disciples. No. <laughs> no. Um, no. I mean, the, there's so much we've heard so much about the fact that he chose fishermen. He didn't choose the rich people. He chose people of Galilee. He chose um, the unlearned, you know, blah, 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 blah. What else you got there? Um, this, I, in a confession once, I had a problem with bad, like I wasn't, I'd stopped sinning, but I was second guessing the reason I had stopped sinning because it was predicated on like vanity. Mm-hmm. He, he was like, don't you think when Jesus says, you know, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, mm-hmm. don't you think he probably says, follow me and I'll make you fisher <coughs> men. Like, and the reason <laughs> he says that is because why does he say this weird analogy of being fishers of men? Mm-hmm. It's because they're fishermen. Right. And because he knows them so well uh-huh. that they'll <coughs> listen to him through this, and he made the analogy of like, God knew you knew me so well that I stopped sinning <coughs> vanity, and I was so hung up on like vanity's not a good enough reason for catalyst for me to stop sinning. It's like, well, he's talking about fishing to get these guys to become his apostles, right? And it's because he knows them so well. Right. It's, it's such a odd term uh-huh. we kind of accept. Like, Fishers of men. Yeah. There's songs about it, but. Who no, that? you're right, and it's kind of a, it's an interesting, <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting metaphor for a disciple, you know, that in some sense the disciple's going to be throwing a wide net, um, and he's going, I mean, that's, but that's what's going to be his life, and his livelihood, and his, um, his satisfaction, because that's basically what he's saying. You think getting a full net of fish is, is joy, you know, it's perfect joy. Come with me, and you will... Um, you know, ca- catching one man, catching one soul. Yeah. This is um, a joy that you have, um, you know, no, you know, that will be make the fish will look like nothing, which is neat. Because um, what else would he, why else would he say that? Basically, he's selling them. He's offering them a better thing. Yeah. You know, it's lovely. 